Uh, so as a kid, um, anything revolving around gifts and presents, right? So that could have been a birthday, that could have been Christmas, that could have been all those other like random holidays that grandparents still send you things, Valentine's, St. Patrick's Day, like we just had. Anytime there was a gift given to me or my sister as a kid, and parents, you see your kids do this, I'm sure you do this as a kid as well, is you just are ready to dive into those presents, right? I've been given a gift, I'm just going to tear it open, and my evil parents did something every single time. I would go to dive into the present. And my parents would say, wait. And I'm like, how could you? Why would you tell a child to wait to open the presents? And then they would say this to me and my sister, before you open your presents, you need to open the card. And I'm like, what a waste of time. <laughs> I don't even know why we still do cards. Nobody cares. Thank you. It's a, let's not even talk about how much those cards are. They cost more than the presents sometimes. Anyway, I digress. That's a whole other sermon we'll go through maybe one day. But they would make me and my sister open these cards first. I'm like, but the real present is right here. Why do I have to open the card? So, of course, we would do it like a normal kid would do it. Oh, fine, I'll open the card. Yeah, see, Grandma knew it. Okay, now present. We'd do anything we could to hurry up and get past the card so we could finally get to the gift and finally get to the present. What's interesting is now as a parent, man, oh man, I do the exact same thing. <laughs> I did this. My, my middle had a birthday. My middle son had a birthday not too long ago. And I'm not kidding. I'm like, I hear my mother and father's voice. In my, it's about to come out of my mouth. And he's getting ready to tear into those. I'm like, wait. <laughs> Just his look. I'm like, I understand. I've been there. And I was like, open the card first. And it's like, it's full circle, right? So mom, dad, yes, yes. I, I'm becoming more and more like you because they're probably watching right now. <laughs> but now the difference is I understand why they did that. As a kid, I couldn't, I couldn't articulate. It was like, whatever, like maybe it's etiquette. Who knows? Don't care, present. But now as a parent, I understand why that card is so important. As a parent, I don't want my children to be consumed with the gift and ignore the giver. I want them to, yes, enjoy the gift, recognize the gift, but in context with who's the one that actually gave them that gift. There's a name associated with that, and that name sacrificed for you to have that gift. That giver has given something up graciously and generously so you could have that gift. So as a dad and Becky as the mom, we want our kids to recognize that gift came from someone, and we want there to be gratitude we want there to be acknowledgement and recognition of the giver, to not be just consumed with the gift, but to also acknowledge and be grateful for the giver. In our Christian lives, if we're not careful, we just get consumed with the gift, the gifts that God gives us, the goodness of God. Again, just like what we sang. But the goodness of God, the gifts of God, the blessings of God should, doesn't always, but it should draw our attention to God, not the gifts of God. So when we look at what God has given us and how God has blessed it and what he blessed us and what he's done in your life, the response is not, oh, that's great. May I have another? It's not, oh, that's great, but I need more of that. The response is, God, you are so good. It's a recognition. It's our heart focuses on God, not what he does not what he gives. It's a focus on him. 
said we're in this, this teaching series where we're going through the Gospels looking for these questions that Jesus asked people in the Gospels and then asking ourselves those same questions. To get to those questions, we're going to see that the people following Jesus might have gotten a little off track in regards to paying attention to the gift, maybe just a little bit more, as we'll see, than the giver. So John chapter 6, if you've got it, take a look at verse 26. Let me give you a little context what happened prior to. Jesus just finished feeding miraculously, supernaturally, the 5,000, the multitudes, if you know this story, right? He had all these people that were crowded around Jesus, listening to him. They all got really hungry. So Jesus, again, supernaturally and in his power, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, and that doesn't even count the women and the children. So thousands upon thousands of people were just fed by Jesus. Of course, he has a large following. He just gave everybody free dinner. Everybody's now following him. And Jesus starts to speak about the giver and not just the gift. Verse 26, Jesus replied. Again, he's talking to a crowd of people that he just fed um, out of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus replied, verse 26, I tell you the truth. That's a very important statement because Jesus is going to say that a total of four times in this passage. Here's one. There's going to be three more. Pay attention to the truth that God speaks through his son, Jesus, and then you're going to see the two questions he's going to ask the people. We're going to follow that same. Let's pay attention to the four truths that he speaks, and then we're going to see the questions he's going to ask. So Jesus' first truth statement, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Instead, look, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So he's got all these people that just got fed. They are amazed. They are impressed. They are interested in this man, Jesus. So you have this massive group of people following Jesus. And he kind of calls a quick little timeout and says, wait, 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 wait. You're not following me because you want to be with me. You're following me because I just fed you. You loved the miracle, and you just want more miracles. And that has to cause us to pause. Jesus called that out to them. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. Let's talk about what he was intending to do with these miraculous signs. What does it really mean? The healings, the miracles, all that Jesus did that was miraculous and supernatural was not the finish line. It wasn't, I came so that you could eat well. He didn't come so that he could do miracles. He did not come so he could just heal people. Jesus came so that we could have eternal life. That's why he came. The miracles and the healings and all the great stories that we read about in the Gospels are to give Jesus the opportunity to point people to him as Savior. Not to say, I've come just for that miracle, to take care of you physically on earth. Right? The people are looking for the external Jesus, take care of us externally. Feed us more food. Jesus like, no, 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 no. You're missing the point. Don't focus on the things that will perish. Don't focus on the things that are temporary. Spend your energy. Focus on the things seeking eternal life. And he says, which is going to come from me. So here's the question that we kind of need to wrestle with through the rest of this morning is right here. Which do I love more, the gift or the giver? Jesus says, you're with me. You love me, not because you love me per se, but because of what I'm doing, because of what I've given you, the gift. Do we focus more on the healing or the healer, the miracles or the miracle worker, the gift or the giver? 
Now, this statement, this true statement by Jesus starts an interesting dialogue. I'm not going to read through it all. You can kind of go through it on your own. Let me paraphrase it for you, though. This dialogue that begins between Jesus and this crowd is pretty interesting. So the crowd is all about following Jesus because he just fed them. And Jesus is like, nah, you're not following me because you love me. You're following me because I just fed you and you want more food. So then the people say, well, if you don't want us to focus on the things of this world, what then should we do? And Jesus is like, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to believe in me. What a great response. So often, Jesus, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus, what can I do? And Jesus is like, nothing. First, I just want you to believe. And then the people, they come back to Jesus. Well, if you want us to believe in you, you need to do something for us. You need to show us a little bit more. We're not convinced yet. If you really don't want us to do anything and you really want us to believe in you, do another magic trick is basically what they say. And then they bring Moses into it. They look at Jesus and say, Jesus, Moses, he did some pretty cool things. We believed in Moses. Our ancestors believed in Moses. Do you know one of the things Moses did? Moses was able to bring bread down from heaven. Anybody that knows their Old Testament Bible, what was that called? Manna. Good, good, yes. And manna came from heaven. This is after the Israelites came out, were brought out of Egypt. They're wandering around the desert for 40, 40 years. They're hungry. They start complaining. So then Moses brings bread down from heaven. So they compare Jesus with Moses and say, that's what Moses did. So Jesus, if you want us to believe in you like we believe in Moses, believed in Moses, what are you going to do? Because Moses did the whole bread from heaven thing. That's pretty cool. What can you do? Jesus is going to give us our second truth statement, and he totally corrects them. Right? He, he leans in. Look at what Jesus says, verse 32. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. There's a second one. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. So you just said that Moses gave you bread from heaven. That wasn't Moses. Look, my father did. Interesting how we do this sometimes. We give credit to a human for something that God did through the human. And they were so focused on the gift and Moses that they missed that God was the one that gave the gift. Do you see how they were focused on the gift versus the giver? They totally forgot and missed that God was the one that provided, that God was the one that was moving, that God was just using Moses as his vessel to take care of his people. So Jesus corrects them quickly. Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. My father did. Now look at how he turns it on himself in a good way. Jesus says, and now he offers you the true bread from heaven. Not that white flaky stuff that lands on the ground. Like, no, true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He's talking about himself. He's like, you're talking about physical food. I'm here and I'm the only one that can bring you life. Verse 34, they replied to him, sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Thinking Jesus is still talking about physical food. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty so Jesus takes what they brought up. This crowd brings up Moses and manna, the bread from heaven. And Jesus continues in that, that symbol or that analogy of the bread saying, God's the one that sent that bread to you. And yes, that bread saved you while you were in the desert, physically. But Jesus is saying, but you're missing the real, the true bread of life. Like I'm the one that is gonna give you eternal life. Stop focusing on today and pay attention to eternity. And Jesus' phrase, I am the bread of life. He's like, that's me. He's claiming to be Messiah. He's claiming to be the Savior, the one that God would send 
to save the people, the entire world, from their sins. Now, if you keep reading through, you'll notice that the crowd did not like Jesus saying that I am the bread of life. Because they're looking at Jesus, and they're hearing him say he came from heaven to give eternal life, yet they're looking at Jesus saying, but we know your mom and dad. We know, where, we know where you live, like Mary, Joseph, your brothers, your sisters, Nazareth, like we know, we saw you when you were little. There's no way you came from heaven. There's no way you're the Messiah. You don't look like the Messiah. So the people are struggling to see what they see. They're struggling to, to reconcile what they see with what they're hearing Jesus say. So they begin to complain. They begin to argue amongst themselves. Jesus knows. He says, stop complaining. Then he gives this third truth statement. Verse 47. I love that he doesn't apologize for his words either. He's not like, hey, guys, I'm really sorry. I know this is a little confusing. Let me back up a little bit. No, he leans in. He like doubles down. He says, verse 47, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Notice how the focus is on believing. Not all the things that you think you need to do. It's focusing on believing. Verse 48, yes, if I wasn't clear the first time, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. In other words, that bread that you are so fixated on, that miracle that you thought was so amazing, it still did not give them eternal life. Verse 50, anyone who eats the bread from heaven, talking about himself, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. You think that raised some eyebrows? Like, what did he just say? <laughs> if you weren't sure what he just said, verse 53, Jesus said again, here's the fourth one. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. And that's exactly how it probably went, went across. It just got real quiet. Did he just flesh blood back up? Can you repeat that for the people in the back, please? It did not go over well at all. Now, time out for a second. If that really confused you, you are in good company. That's a very difficult analogy that Jesus is getting across. We are going to talk about it. I promise I'll explain it, just not quite yet. So sit on that one. Don't let it rock your faith quite yet. We're going to talk about it. But I want you to feel what the, that crowd was feeling. Jesus, this isn't what we thought you were going to say. This isn't what we thought you were going to do. This isn't what we thought you were expecting of us. Like, we really liked the Jesus that just fed us dinner. We don't like the Jesus talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. Let's have that Jesus. We don't like this Jesus. They were having a very difficult time hearing Jesus in the midst of what they expected of Jesus. So then we get to a tipping point for people. Again, a massive crowd that was interested in Jesus, impressed with Jesus, following Jesus. But will they accept what he is saying? Will they believe? Jesus, time and time again, you have to believe in me. I'm the bread of life. You have to follow me, but believe in me. Can they believe in him, especially when he says something so difficult, something that goes way beyond what they expected of Jesus? Now we get to where Jesus is going to ask two questions. We saw the truths. Now we're going to see the two questions. As I said, it's a tipping point for many of these followers. Verse 60, many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? 
It's a very valid question. Let's talk about this just for a quick second. First, it says disciples. Here is not talking just about the 12 disciples. Jesus is going to ask them a question specifically in a minute, but he's talking to those that are following him. So disciples, we usually think of that as just the 12. Disciples is anybody that's been following Jesus. So he's talking to the crowd. Notice it says many of his disciples. So that wasn't just a few that weren't on board with this. It's a lot of Jesus's followers that are like, time out, this doesn't sound right. Now in our language, we translate it. This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? We say it kind of nonchalant, just like that. In the Greek, this has this state, these questions have a lot more edge to them. It would almost be better translated if, if, if we were to read this as, this is unacceptable. Like, it's a rhetorical question. Who would believe this? Like, you got to say it like that. It's not just who would accept this. It's who in the world, who in their right mind would hear what Jesus is saying and actually believe him? This is not okay. This is unacceptable. We will not tolerate it. That's the kind of edge and tone that many of these disciples had when Jesus was sharing the truth of who he is. Here comes Jesus' question. Verse 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining, so he said to them, does this offend you? There's our first question from Jesus. Does this offend you? Do you know what causes us to be offended? If we were to get at the root of it, it really comes down to expectations. When you are offended, you would say, somebody didn't treat me the way that I expected them to. Somebody didn't say something like they should have, like I expected them to. They didn't act in a way that I expected them to or that they should have acted or reacted or responded. It usually comes down to expectation. When we have an expectation about how everybody else should speak, think, and act, and when those expectations are not met, we get offended. So Jesus' question, does this offend you? Is almost like saying, am I not meeting your expectations? Am I not being who you thought I would be? Am I not doing what you wanted me to do? Am I not doing what you thought I would do? Am I not saying things the right way, the way that you think I should say them? Does this offend you? Understanding a little bit more of the context and the culture here, again, this crowd was looking and waiting for the Messiah, who God would send to save them from their sins, and the entire world, us included. And they, in the culture, in the Jewish culture, they had an idea of what that Messiah would be like what he would look like, what he would sound like, what he would begin to do. And their expectation of the Messiah is that he would arrive onto the scene full of glory and power in a political and military view. And Jesus was not that at all. Born in a stable from Nazareth. They were expecting a Messiah to show up and begin to overthrow the oppressive government of Rome. And instead, Jesus comes on the scene and starts speaking about sacrifice and generosity, gentleness and humility, self-control and love, kindness, joy in the midst of suffering. That's not the Messiah that we expected. So for Jesus to claim he's Messiah, no, 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 no. That's not the kind of Messiah we expected. That's not the kind of teachings we expected from the Messiah. So when Jesus says, are you offended? Does this offend you? He's really asking, are you able to follow me even if I'm not what you expected? And we've asked this question before. I love this question. It's convicting every time I ask myself. Here it is. Will you follow a God that doesn't meet your expectations? 
When Jesus doesn't do what you think he ought to do, can we still follow him? When he doesn't answer a prayer the way that you want him to answer it, will we still follow him? When his timeline is different from ours, different expectations, will we still follow him? Jesus' question, does this offend you, is more so asking, can you still follow me even if you don't understand and even if you don't fully grasp it, maybe even if you don't fully agree, and most certainly even if I'm not what you expected, can you still follow me? Can we follow a God that does not meet our expectations? Then Jesus continues. He adds a little tag on to that, a little sarcasm if you ask me, verse 62. After he says, does this offend you? Then he says, then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? Kind of like, if you're having a hard time with this whole bread of life thing, wait till you see me die, bury, rise again, and then ascend to heaven. You're going to have a really hard time with that one. <laughs> so just you wait. You think this was offensive. Just wait a little bit. Then he goes on and he does start to explain this whole bread of life thing. He goes on, he says, verse 63, the spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. Remember that. We're going to come back to it. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you don't believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him, talking about Judas. He ends with, then he said, this is why I said the people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. He said that earlier on in one of his true, uh, true statements early on. What Jesus is getting at, I know that's a lot of words and it's kind of hard to under, understand, so let me help, help you kind of navigate through it. First of all, what do you say? Human accomplishments do nothing. He says, no, eternal life is from me. It's my spirit that gives you eternal life. It's nothing you do. And then he brings up, he's like, look, the words that I've given to you are spirit and life. They were having a hard time because they were taking everything that Jesus was saying physically and literally. Like, you're, we're, we're not going to eat your flesh, Jesus. So he's not, he's like, no, you're, guys, you're missing the whole point. Like, I'm talking about spirit and life. I'm trying to use an analogy that you brought up about the whole bread and manna, and I'm helping you understand what that means for your spiritual lives. So Jesus is helping them understand this is a symbol. This is an analogy. You're so worried about physical bread, you're missing that I'm the bread that's really going to sustain you. I'm the one, spiritually, that's going to give you eternal life. He's helping them see. He's speaking in an, in a, an analogy, and he's helping them understand that this is a spiritual truth using a very interesting analogy, bread of life, eat my flesh, drink my blood, to explain a spiritual truth. Here's the spiritual truth. We're going to learn it right now together. So I went to Kroger, and I got a loaf of bread. Here's the spiritual truth that Jesus is getting across. You are so concerned about bread that you will hold on to this bread. You love this bread. You like this bread. You like everything about this bread. You're even asking for this bread. But if you do not eat this bread, this bread will not give you life. Right? If you just hold on to the bread and never eat it, you will starve. But if you take the bread and you eat it, you will now have life. But so often, we just like to hold the bread. We like to walk around with this bread. We like to talk a lot about this bread. I can talk about this bread all day long. I can describe this bread to you. I can tell you, you need to get your own bread. I might even invite you to, to hold this bread with me. We could sit around and talk about bread all day long. We ask God for more bread so I can hold this bread. We just hang on to the bread. We smell the bread. 
We think about the bread. But if I never eat the bread, I will not have life. Jesus says, you can't just walk with me. You can't just know me. You can't just know about me. It's not about liking me. It's about consuming me. Or a better way for us to say it, receive me. And you have so many people in this crowd that wanted to just hold on to the bread, see the bread, talk about the bread. Oh, but I have to like invite you into my heart? I have to like let you into my whole life? Well, that seems a little too much to you. That feels very invasive, Jesus. Can I just hold on to you? And I'll, I'll follow you, but I won't let you in. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. By believing, we let him in. He moves into our heart. We consume him, and he gives us life. Eternal life comes from him, not by things we do. What did we say again? Human accomplishments amount to nothing. It's not how hard we work at it that gives us eternal life. It's not by doing the right things at the right time that gives us eternal life. It's believing in Jesus and letting him in. That's what Jesus means when he says, you have to consume me, eat my flesh, drink my blood, symbolically, yes. But what that means is we receive him, we let him in, and he's the one that gives us life. A lot of people didn't believe that, though. Even Jesus recognized that. He said, there's going to be a lot that don't believe this. Uh, an author said it much better than I ever could, um, and this is a lot more convicting coming from somebody else for me personally. An author wrote about it this way. There is a profound difference between being attracted to some aspects of Christianity versus actually being a born-again Christian. Typically, the difference is shown when a Christian message, a truth of Christ, conflicts with a person's preferences. Can we just let that sit for a second? That's where these people were at when Jesus was sharing these truths. He said, this is where you decide whether you believe in me and follow or whether you were just interested in something, whether you just wanted me to feed you again. When your preferences are not met, when your expectations aren't met, will you still follow? Verse 66, at this point, many of his disciples turn away, turned away and deserted him. They said, we can't accept it, we won't accept it, so we will leave. Verse 67, here's the second question Jesus asked. Then Jesus turned to the 12, now we're talking about those 12 disciples, and asked, second question, are you also going to leave? Doesn't that question break your heart? Jesus, we know he is fully God, fully man. I think this second question comes from his humanity. He's just seen a lot of people he deeply loves and cares about walk away from him. So he turns to those closest to him and says, are you with me or not? Is this too much for you? Are you also going to leave? See, it's at this point that Jesus is really, we're starting to see a separation with the people that follow Jesus, with those that are curious, those that are interested, and those that are impressed. And there's another category I'm going to hit in a second. The curious see Jesus and like, man, I don't know what's up with him, but dude, he just fed a bunch of people. We need to learn more about him. 
There's a curiosity that drives people to follow Jesus. There's an interest in Jesus. He's fascinating. He's intriguing. He's radical. He says crazy things. He does amazing things. So there's a level that is very interested in what Jesus might say and what he might do. So we follow Jesus because we are interested in him. There's another group of people following Jesus that are just straight up impressed. Like, did you see what he did with that whole loaf and that bread and those fish? Like, there was a lot. There was a little and there was a lot. Like, that makes any of us impressed. So we are impressed with Jesus and what he does. We're impressed with the gifts and impressed with the miracles, impressed with the blessings. So we follow Jesus because we want to be impressed again. We love to be impressed. We like to see people do things that are impressive. But in each of those cases, the curious, the interested, and the impressed, when Jesus started speaking truth, we're not as curious and walked away. We're no longer as interested and walked away and went from impressed to unimpressed and walked away. So now the question to the disciples, the 12 disciples is, are you interested or are you invested? That'd be that fourth category. Invested says, I'm in. I'm in no matter what. And we could ask ourselves that same question. Are you interested in Jesus or are you fully invested in following him no matter what? Or is he just an interest? Last year, about springtime, so like truly coming up almost on a year, I gained a new interest. I'm one of the maybe weird people that I do like to run, like without being chased or when I don't have to. Like I enjoy running. And, uh, but I was also getting a little bit bored with just pavement, like road running. I was like, man, I got to do something else. So a friend of mine, he got into trail running. He's like, oh, that sounds like fun. I'll try that. So I went trail running once with my normal shoes. I'm like, dude, this is great. It's like the trail and it's different. It's elevation, it's rocks, it's roots. Like it was exciting. I'm like, dude, this is great. I'm going to start, I'm going to put up my old shoes and I'm going to start trail running and do some of these mountain runs. So I went and got all the gear. I got my new shoes that were made for trail running. I got the whole outfit for trail running. I had the camel back with the whole water thing for trail running, got this whole thing for trail running, and I was having so much fun going through all these trails. That was like in spring. Then summer hit. And I was like, ooh, it's, it's hot on these trails. The treadmill was never that hot. Outside, in the trails, through the mountains, up and down in a lot of elevation is a lot more hot. And then I also noticed something, and I'll admit this, I was like, my knees are starting to hurt. My knees never hurt when I'm just running on pavement, but the ups and the downs, especially the downs and all the rocks and roots and stuff, like started to really take a toll on my knees. So I'm like, it's getting really hot. It's, it, it's, I have to drive out of my way. Can't just like walk out of my house and go. So I have to drive somewhere to it. My knees are starting to hurt. I was like, yeah, maybe this isn't for me. So I've not touched those trail running shoes for in almost a year. It was really fun, but then I lost interest in it. When it got a little hard, when it got a little difficult, when it's not what I thought it was going to be, I lost interest. I'm not invested in trail running, but I was most certainly interested for a season. So Jesus' question, are you interested or are you invested? And I love Peter's answer. Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. I love that answer. It's such a beautiful answer. That's what an answer looks like from somebody that's following Jesus that is invested. Peter says, we don't have anywhere else to go. Like, we don't have a plan B. We've given up everything. We've given up our old lives to follow you, Jesus. There's nowhere else to go. There's nothing else for us to do. So good, bad, right, wrong, up, down, we're in this with you. 
And I love that he says, we believe and we know that you're the holy one. What Peter does not say is, hey, that whole bread, like life thing, we totally understand that. We're behind you. No, he probably, if I were to assume, was like, I have no idea what the whole bread of life thing means, but Jesus, we believe you. We don't fully understand, but we're with you. I don't exactly know where this is going to go, but we know that you're the holy one. That's the only thing I need to know. I don't need to know everything. I don't need to understand everything. But when it comes to following Jesus, we believe and we know that you are the holy one of God. If we can say that, then let's be invested. Now, let me say this. If you're somebody here that you're still very curious in your relationship with Jesus, like faith is new and you're still figuring it out, what a great place to be. Even though I'm kind of knocking on the crowd, let's at least recognize that they at least started following Jesus, right? That's great. You have to start somewhere. So let that curiosity move you to pursue him. Just like Jesus said earlier, don't worry about the things of this world. No, pursue, spend your energy focusing on the things of eternal life. Like, so allow that curiosity to drive you in your relationship with Jesus. If you're somebody that's like interested in Jesus, you're like, man, I, I like what I see. Allow that to, to cause you to dig in to see what else he says. What are the truths of Jesus? What are the truths of faith? What does it look like to truly deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow him? What does it look like to give your life to him? Allow your interest to move you forward. If you're impressed with Jesus, don't ever lose it. Hold on to that awe. And just because he doesn't do what you want when you want it, should not take away that you're impressed with your Savior. So I'm going to rephrase the questions. These two questions, if I were to ask them a different way for us, I would ask them in this way. What if Jesus asked you, am I enough for you? Am I enough? Not the gift, but is the giver enough? Not the healing, but the healer. Not the miracle, but the miracle worker. Not even the saving, but the savior. What if Jesus asked you and asked me, am I enough? Is the cross enough? Is the grace enough? Is his presence enough for me and for you? Natalie Grant wrote a song. If you don't know who Natalie Grant is, ask your mom and dad. <laughs> Promise they'll know. She wrote a song called More Than Anything. Let me read some of the words of the song. When I'm desperate and my heart is overcome, all that I need you've already done. Oh, Jesus, help me want you more than anything. Help me want the healer more than the healing. Help me want the savior more than the saving. Help me want the giver more than the giving. Oh, help me want you, Jesus, more than anything. Is Jesus enough? That's the question we need to answer. And I hope we answer like Peter. Where else would we go? We're all in. We're fully invested no matter what. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for how your Holy Spirit speaks through your word. Jesus, thank you for how you teach us and how you lead us and how you love us unconditionally. Lord, as we wrestle with that question daily, may our answer be, we're all in. We're not fully gonna understand. We don't always know everything and 
Our expectations and yours, I know, are different. Our timelines are different. But may we follow you not based on our preferences. May we follow you not based on our own self-interest and what we get from you. May we follow you and may we believe in you because of who you are. May we desire, Holy Spirit, make our heart desire you and not the things that you give. May we focus our heart and our attention on the giver and not just the gifts. In Jesus' name.